Our next live workshop, Integrating Mind and Heart, will be held online from September 22nd to 24th, 2023. If you want to get closer and trust each other and yourself to get through the hard moments, this is the workshop for you. Sign up at whydoesmypartner.com slash events. Welcome to the Connectfulness Practice Podcast. Here, we settle into the murky, tangled, and freaking hard parts of life to restore our relationship with the self so it can ripple out to the people we love, the work we do, and the world around us. If we can't fix what's wrong, then our grandchildren inherit it. In order to fix what's wrong, we have to talk about it. And we can't move that conversation forward if we're not willing to be real about where we are now. We have to push on the edges of what it means to connect. Otherwise, nothing will ever change. I'm your host, Rebecca Wong, and I'm here to guide you through a series of radically honest conversations about what it means to be truly human in all of its messy, beautiful, hilarious, and heartbreaking glory. In our collective effort of looking inward, we're starting to do the outward work of reconnecting the world. While these discussions will guide you into the connectfulness practice, this podcast is not meant to be a substitute for the depth of work that you'd encounter with a licensed provider. If something in this episode touches you, reach out. That's where you initiate the ripple that restores relationships. You can learn more about my connectfulness counseling practice and online workshops at connectfulness.com. Welcome back. I'm here today with my friend and colleague, Shane Burkle. Shane is a licensed marriage and family therapist and a certified relational life therapist. That's actually how we met, um, based in New Hampshire. And he makes a lot of educational videos about relationships that you can find on TikTok. And he also has a wonderful podcast about the practice of couples therapy. Shane, welcome. So glad you joined me here today. Hi, Rebecca. Thank you so much. I'm so glad to be here. Yeah. I'm really glad you're here too. You know, you and I uh, learn a lot in the same circles over the years. We have kind of found ourselves learning together quite a bit. And it's one of the things I really appreciate about knowing you and uh, just your drive for your, your quest for learning and, and how often the two of us find ourselves in those circles. I know it's provided us a lot of opportunities to really get to know each other. And I really value our friendship. And I feel like it probably speaks to our, the similarities about us that we always find ourselves at the same trainings together. <laughs> <laughs> we geek out in similar ways. Yeah, totally. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, um, you know, I'm thinking about our conversation here today, and I would love to really talk about the normal developmental, like relational, the normal relational developmental process. Yeah. Right. And yeah. help folks to understand like, what does a healthy relationship actually look like? How could mm-hmm. I help myself get there? Like, if, yeah. if I'm not already there, like, what, what do I need to know about that? Yeah, that's great. And um, I feel like this is such an essential question 
that people come in and ask. And I feel like it's so hard to answer as well. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I feel, well, and I feel like it's also personal for Mm -hmm. different people, but with that being said, I think there are some really core, uh, core parts of this that we can speak to that we can um, sort of set the framework, set a foundation so that um, no matter what situation people are in, uh, no matter how, you know, how different it is, how diverse it is that, uh, and everybody has different needs and wants and things that they're looking for. I think we can say a few things that tend to be essentially true about what it means to be human and what it means to be in a relationship and what it means to feel healthy in, in your life. As I hear you say that, I'm, I'm sitting here thinking, I, I, held a, I held an intensive with a couple just recently. And when we really boil down so much of the work that we did over the course of like 14 hours, the need to know that I matter was like the central oomph mm-hmm. of what they were both struggling with. Mm-hmm. Right. And I hear that over and over and over again with so many of the people I work with. And I'm wondering if that's true for you. I'm guessing that it is. Yeah, absolutely. And sometimes I use the phrase uh, valuing ourselves or feeling mm-hmm. valued. And the thing about that. So as human beings, we're wired for connection with other human beings. And we grow up in our families as children um, yearning for connection with our family members and other people around us. And part of that is the need of children to be valued by their parents. So in a healthy family, that there's some part of that that will be happening, hopefully. Um, and... What happens a lot of times, even with well-intentioned parents, um, not meaning to do anything wrong, but not having the skills themselves, what happens oftentimes is a child will grow up in that family. And let me, let me give a specific example of how this might happen. Let's say the parents just really aren't good at talking about emotions. And every time the child comes to them and has a feeling of sadness or fear or hurt, um, they'll want to talk about it. Uh, and um, the par- if the parents don't have the skills to talk about emotions, they might say something like, oh, it's no big deal. Don't, don't worry about it. Just forget about it. You'll be fine. And what the child quickly learns, it, uh, unconsciously maybe, is that it's not okay to talk about emotions. It's not okay to bring emotions up in the conversation. And the children's brains often take it to another uh, level of feeling like what is wrong with me for having these emotions in the first place, Uh, which is invaluing or devaluing uh, themselves uh, or or they're going to, to feel like I need to perform in a certain way in this family and in this world in In order order to to get the love uh, I deserve in order to feel like I'm enough in order to have people care about me. Right. So there's, so now we're introducing this like performative piece, right? Like I have to, mm-hmm. there, there's ways I have to contort myself or things I have to achieve in order for my value to be noticed. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And so when that person, gr- when that child grows up and is in a relationship 
with someone, oftentimes there's this thing that happens, which is that, look, I know how I'm supposed to perform. And if I perform in that way, my partner should give me the love and affection that I always wanted that I maybe missed out on in my own family, uh, or to some extent missed out on. And, um, there's a lot of feeling of overwhelm and confusion when people find out that their partner doesn't see the world exactly the same way, or they don't respond the way they expect, or they have different needs and wants, or it, it becomes very overwhelming and confusing for people. And, and again, so much of it is unconscious, I believe. So much of it, it you, what, what, what happens is you just start interacting with your partner and you feel like uh, they're, in, you know, uh, invalidating your experience, or you feel like they're not being very understanding, or you feel like, uh, why doesn't my partner feel like I matter? Why doesn't my partner care about me? And, um, that's not necessarily what's true about the situation, but it's a place where our brains go really quickly. Yeah. I, I, um, I was just writing into this the other night and I think what I wrote was something like, um, we need to make conscious the practice of kind of recontextualizing our relational patterns, mm. right? Like there, there's something about, there's so much of the relational patterning, like how I do relationship, how you do relationship, how we do relationship together. That is just, it's, it's unconscious, right? And yeah. maybe it's like passed down through the generations. Like it's, totally. it, it's a transgenerational transmission, right? Of relationship. Mm -hmm. And so part of the healing process is I think becoming really conscious of how do we do relationship? Yeah. Right. And so we're, we're giving back context to where we, we don't know how, why we do this or how we do it, but it's just how we do it. Yeah. And I think um, it's so hard to do that because we have, maybe because of the way that we're socialized, we have a perspective that there's a right way and a wrong way. We believe that it's about objective reality. Uh, and we have a hard time valuing ourselves in the first place, as we, as we talked about. And so we go to this place of either shaming ourselves or shaming our partner for not doing it the right way. Right. So as if there example, is a right way. <laughs> yeah, if, yeah, as if there was one. Uh, and so if one partner grows up in a family where everyone talks really loud and it's really chaotic and everyone's uh, interrupting each other and the other partner grows up in a really small family where no one, you know, there's no conflict and no one talks about anything and these two people are in a relationship with each other. Yeah. It's really easy to go to this place of what's wrong with you for yelling at me and talking so loud or in the other person, what's wrong with you for never saying what you want or what you need, Yeah, you know, and to go to this place of basically shaming the other person uh, and making them feel uh, like there's something wrong with them because they're not showing up in the, in the relationship in a way that they expect. Yeah. And so, and so like you're saying, so you're yeah. saying what you were saying before, just to connect that, you know, there's a, obviously you and I know because we work with couples so often, there's such a huge amount of potential for us to move couples into compassion and understanding for each other. And I think uh, such a huge part of that process is making the unconscious conscious. 
uh, as you were saying before, helping them see what's, what's happening in that. Yeah. And, and as we grow our awareness around those patterns, as we start to make the unconscious conscious, make the implicit more explicit, I think there's a, well, I don't think, I, I know that there's a shift that happens, right? Where in RLT, we talk about this in relational life therapy, we talk about it as the shift from first to second consciousness, mm-hmm. right? Because we're really making things conscious here. We're really showing up in a way where, uh, well, how would you describe relational mindfulness and second consciousness? What's, what's, yeah, the second consciousness as i understand it is the is the practice of mindfulness it's the practice of being present so um the first consciousness is our uh sort of visceral response it's our nervous system response to a situation so um you know let's say that uh I, you know, if I grew up in a family where um, I was taught from a very young age that the right thing to do is to say thank you uh, after every little thing that somebody does. And um, I uh, am just going through the day with my partner, and my partner isn't saying thank you at the times that I feel like are the times that people are supposed to say thank you. And I, so I have my first conscious response might be the, the whoosh feeling, the visceral response that I have. Why is my partner not thanking me for all these nice things that I'm doing for them today? Um, that's my first consciousness. It's not, it's based on the way I was, uh, what was modeled for me growing up and the beliefs that I have about the world beliefs or that I beliefs that I'm making up about the world. I would say, because from my partner's perspective, they may feel extremely grateful and connected and feel really happy about the things I'm doing for them. And it might not even cross their mind that they would say thank you that often because that they just never had that growing up and they didn't know that that was something that's important to me. And so the getting to the second consciousness is the ability for me to, well, uh, be understanding about their reality. I was going to say too, I guess, I don't know if this is second consciousness this is a whole, maybe a different thing, but I can also, while I'm acknowledging that my partner's reality is different, I guess the first step is moving into compassion and understanding for myself. First of all, mm. it's not about shaming myself. Cause that's another step that people do. Like what's now what's wrong with me for having such high expectations for having my partner say, thank you. And I could swirl down into this shame spiral of like, Oh, I'm, I'm just can't be happy with anything. And, um, and so it's the ability to have compassion for myself to be mindful. I'm enough. And I matter. Uh, I make mistakes sometimes and that's okay. And then to bring that love and compassion to my partner and understanding for what their experience is, and this requires um, what what you know psychology calls differentiation. I have to realize that my experience is not the same as this other person's experience. We're mm-hmm. not dealing with objective reality. We're dealing with 
my perspective, my feelings, my emotions, my experience, which is completely valid, and my partner's experience and emotions and feelings, which is completely valid at the same time. You know, I I love how you're describing this and, and that you're bringing differentiation into it. I find that when I'm working with people in this in this way, um, one of the thing, one of the tools I have that is really helpful is to do uh, kind of like a little parts work, right? Mm-hmm. Where I bring in the um, like a younger part of them who might be having that big whoosh reaction, right? And that way, there's even a little differentiation maybe between them now and them when they were younger, like how old are they feeling in this moment when they're having this big mm-hmm. reaction? Right. And yeah. to work with that part and them today, their today old self, mm-hmm. right. So that they can even bring that compassion to themselves. They can bring that, Oh, that's your experience of it. What's my partner's experience of it. Right. Like that, that work can move in multiple directions mm-hmm. with, with that younger part of themselves kind of really in mind. Yeah, absolutely. And, uh, uh, I can give you an example from my personal life. Um, you know, I, I think having kids, you know, brings us to the forefront a lot. Yeah. And, um, I had an experience several months ago where I, I watched as my nine-year-old son hit his sister and I had a, I had this whoosh feeling come up and my, my visceral response, I'm ashamed. I'm, I'm ashamed to admit it, health, healthy sense of shame, um, that I, I yelled at him. Uh, I said, you know, I said, stop hitting your sister or something, you know, something like that. It was very harsh. I was standing over him as a big, strong adult. I'm sure it was intimidating for him. Um, and I want to, you know, it's really important for me to differentiate for myself. It would, so, so on the one hand, I'm, I'm being a violator at that point. I am being a, uh, emotionally abusive to my son as I am standing over and intimidating him in that way. Um, and so uh, on the one sense, it's sort of this sense of entitlement. Mm-hmm. Like, who do I, who, who do I, who do I really think I am that I have the right to be abusive to a nine-year-old? Mm-hmm. So there's this that sense of entitlement that that gets part of that whoosh, and then uh, it would be easy for me to go to a place of shame. Now that could be healthy shame or that could be toxic shame. We could talk about the difference, but of oh my gosh, I'm such a terrible person that I just yelled at my son. Now let's say we keep it at a healthy level. Um, what that motivates me to do is move into my functional adult self uh, to feel bad about the way that I handled the situation. And in this case, you know, within 30 seconds, I apologized to him. I was trying to repair, uh, you know, and, but to, to realize that, like you were saying, there's an opportunity here. Maybe I go in my room by myself after that, after I do the repair process, and have a conversation with that part of me that came out. Yeah. Yes. That there, there's something, you know, some younger part of myself that was coming out in that moment. And I'm imagining that that conversation, you know, like part, part of when I think of the difference between healthy and toxic shame, as you mentioned, 
one of the differences that I think about is healthy shame kind of brings me to a, oh, I don't like how I just behaved. I want to do better. Mm -hmm. Yes. Right? Like, so it's the behavior that I'm not liking. But when I'm in that more toxic place, I've become the bad person. Yes. Right? Like, so now I'm bad as opposed to my behavior wasn't good. Now, right? Like, it's, is it the person or is it the behavior? Exactly. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Shame is I'm essentially a bad person. The other thing about it is that, you know, let's say you're working with a couple and one partner has had an affair. So that's a pretty big violation. Um, and they're moving into shame about it. Mm-hmm. The toxic shame, uh, if they start saying, I'm a terrible person, what's wrong with me? Chances are that um, sometimes what will happen is their partner will start to move into compassion for them. Yeah. So it takes the focus off of the appropriate person. So um, having an affair is being preoccupied with yourself and doing what you want and acting in an entitled way. And then moving into toxic shame in the conversation with your partner, uh, is another form of preoccupation with yourself. I love how you just did that there, right? Because what we're doing is we're noticing the difference between when you're preoccupied with you and when you're focused on your relationship. Yeah. So healthy shame would be, I feel terrible about what I did and I might be moved to emotions because I have so much compassion and love for you, this person who is, who I love and care about. And it, it moves me into accountability and connection with their experience. And I will still be able to be present and open with them to at the service of them. And toxic shame keeps the focus on me. Yeah. Mm -hmm. It forces the conversation to be at the service of me once again. Right. So whether I'm behaving badly, it's focused on me. Or if I'm in such a deep despair, the focus is still on me because now I'm sitting in that dark place. Yes. Yeah. 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 It's so funny how we learn how to do relationships, isn't it? Like that, that somehow these are the skills that are passed down to us because, because the people who passed down the skills did the best that they could. And this is what they knew. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I think there should be more acknowledgement of that in our society. I think people grow up in the families they grow up in and we learn from society mm-hmm. and there's very little acknowledgement of what, well, what is it really that makes people feel healthy or what is it, you know, some of these essential ideas of compassion and understanding and love that we're all seeking as human beings. Um, why is that important? I mean, there's a huge, I mean, just look at the political world. Like there's a huge amount of acceptance for people acting abusively towards each other. Yeah. And, um, you know, I think there's very limited um, accountability, accountability, limited maturity, limited, you know, people look at somebody who throws a temper tantrum and thinks, oh, that's just somebody who's, who has a lot of power or a lot of control of the situation uh, without really seeing sometimes how uh, much of a lack of maturity is coming into play at that moment. Yeah. And so, you know, this is something I think that you and I both kind of uh, think about a bunch, 
when I, when I'm thinking about that maturity piece, I'm also thinking about that the parts of me that really didn't have the nurturing that they needed or the guidance that they needed or the limit setting that they needed to grow up, um, to really grow up. Right. And so when I'm in an adult relationship, if those parts of me, and, and there can be all different kinds of parts, right. But if there's some part of me that, that is, um, acting out because there were never any limits set there or is, uh, manipulating as a form of trying to get some kind of nurturing because that's the only way it knows how to receive the love, right? Those parts of me actually need me to show up mm-hmm. to, uh, to be the adult, to, to offer the, to help me through the process of maturation. Mm-hmm. Like that's really what so much of this work is about. It's about maturing. Yeah. There's two things that you're saying that I think are so important. One is one thing I was thinking of was like how personal this is for each and every one of us. And this is why therapy can be so helpful Yeah, because we can really dig in to understand the exact ways in which your particular family has influenced who you are as a person and move into compassion, understanding for the things that are going on. Uh, in the way that you're behaving in the world um, in a very specific way. And, you know, if I grew up with, uh, you know, I'm, I'm just making this up. Like if I grew up with a boundaryless mother and a walled off father, I might, ex- I might be very different in the present than you growing up with the exact same parents. And mm-hmm. In therapy, we can really dig into that and try to understand why that is, make some connections about what um, personally, why have you become the who you are? Yeah. And the, well, the other, and the other thing you were saying, which I think was um, really helpful, is the understanding that like so often people are still, they're, they're still waiting for their parents to show up in the way that they deserve either consciously or unconsciously, or they're still trying to perform in a way to get their parents approval and love. This happens even even, after their parents have died, even after their parents have died. And sometimes they treat their partner that way, right? Like they're looking for that from their partner or trying to seek their partner's approval. Yeah, exactly. Or Mm -hmm. they're trying to get it from their partner. Yeah. Yeah. There's this other, there's this other dynamic that I witness sometimes with my people. And um, I'd love to just check it out with you. sometimes when they're growing up, they witness a certain dynamic in their home, like between their parents, right? Maybe there's some dishonesty or maybe there's um, like a withholding of being able to go deep, right? Or, or just kind of to be able to, to grieve together or something along those lines. Right. And then in their relationship as adults with their partner, they replay the historical dynamic, mm-hmm. right? Like I witnessed it growing up. I didn't really realize that it affected me because it wasn't happening to me, but I was bearing witness to it. It was in the air I was breathing. And then as an adult, there's like a replication of it. Like I'm, I'm still like digesting it, but I'm digesting mm-hmm. it now, like in vivo with my partner. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And I think there are two directions it can go when you grow up in your family. 
I mean, this is an oversimplification, but Total oftentimes oftentimes we uh, either model what we see or we go the opposite direction, you know? So if someone has a parent who's really anxious all the time and telling them the world's not a safe place and it's really dangerous out there and you, you know, it's constantly controlling their environment, that person might grow up and be, be very anxious, like without even realizing it, they sort of take on the, the mindset of the parent. Um, that person might also grow up and be very, like, feel like, the opposite feel like, you know, it's not a big deal. Everything's fine. You know, because their parent was holding that anxious energy for everyone in the family, their whole life, they don't worry about anything that they sort of like resisted against that. So, um, when we look at, uh, how I show when each of us looks at ourselves and how we show up in the present moment, uh, there's a lot to understand about, you know, what, what types of things am I modeling that I'm not even conscious of? What types of things am I playing out again? You know, and, and it's interesting in relationships too. I heard this, I don't know if this is like Harville Hendricks or somebody, um, you know, it's sort of like the idea that we find someone who's similar enough to, uh, you know, our parents growing up that we can sort of try to reenact and replay to heal ourselves from the things that we went through, but different enough that there's more potential to be, you know, to actually be able to accomplish it or something. Yeah. It's we're, we're such complex beings as humans. Yes. And obviously if I'm starting to date someone, I'm not thinking about it that way. I'm not even realizing it. I'm not saying like, Oh, I'm really attracted to this person because I'm going to heal my childhood wounds. Uh, but unconsciously, it's kind of fascinating to think how that happens. Yeah. And and I think then it plays out in our relationships, right? Because we, we end up taking on these old patterns that, yes. <clears throat> that we're not conscious of. And so I think so much of the healing work, the, the relational healing work, is about becoming conscious of that. Yes, absolutely. And moving into maturity, as you were saying, uh, part of that is, is grief work. Yeah. Is the grieving, the realization that there's no one out there who's ever going to heal me. (laughs) My parents can't do it. My partner can't do it. And there's no one else there to do it for me. There's a wonderful book by Dick Schwartz called you're the one you've been waiting for. Yeah, that's great. Yeah. That's a great line. Yeah. Uh, and so I think it, it, it is um, overwhelming mm-hmm. to realize that, but it, there's a lot of growth that can happen once we start to do that grieving work. Yeah. There's a lot of maturing that we can move into, and it can really transform people's relationships because that they, they go from feeling like their partner is responsible for them into taking more ownership and, uh, you know, part of it is expressing what you need and want and getting clear for each of us, for ourselves on what we need and want, and also being able to listen to our partner about what they need or want with compassion and understanding and what they feel. And, um, 
doing both at the same time. This, this is where yeah. people run into all kinds of issues. I think, um, understanding issues, this in different ways. Being, um, how do, how do I keep myself from foisting me off onto you? And how do I keep me from picking up what's yours and taking responsibility for what's not mine? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So like how that could look in real life, you know, well, here's, here's an example. Yeah. Um, I, I tend to be wired kind of anxiously. That's just who I am. It's how I, how I am. We can really get into that and probably explore the fact that I'm the granddaughter of Holocaust survivors and that anxiety is probably transmitted generationally. And COVID has um, amplified some of my anxiety, but also has amplified it in a way that I've taken off the mask of trying to not look anxious. And I'm just like, okay with, yeah, this is who I am. This is how I show up. And so my kids and I have been having these conversations where, yeah, okay, wait, that's mommy's anxiety. Like we're naming that that's mine. And I'm like, I might let them know what I'm anxious about, but it does, they don't, it's not something they have to pick up and carry. And we're really talking about it because it's not, you know, like that's part of the conscious making part of it. I'm letting them know, like, I don't want you to feel like you have to fix this. This isn't yours. Right. Whereas yeah. <clears throat> I think for so many of us, when we're growing up, like, we're oozing out those, maybe they're anxious parts. Maybe they're the sad parts. Maybe they're the angry parts. Maybe they're the walled in parts, right? Like there, there's some kind of oozing of the places where I'm struggling and, and not really able to kind of fully be with myself. Mm-hmm. Right. And the people around us, especially the young, poorest people around us, the little kids are picking that up and like, Oh, I have to do something with this. Like when mommy's feeling that way, I have to act this way or do something different. Right. And so that's where we start to learn those roles. Yeah. Yeah. And start to learn that I'm responsible for other people's emotions. Yeah. That would be the unhealthy message that people would take on. Right. And I think in some ways we've all taken it on in some capacity. Yes. Right. And so to tease out, like, how have I taken on those messages? What have I learned that I'm responsible for? That's not mine. Yeah. 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 And I think, um, the uniqueness of each of us is what makes the communication so, so important because, um, you know, I had a day uh, where I was, let's say I had a day where I was feeling depressed and uh, was spending the day with my family and my wife notices it and um, she starts to try to fix it. Yeah. You know, and she's coming from a good place. She has good intentions. She just wants me to feel better, but she, she maybe tries to fix it in a way that would work for her, you know, maybe like trying to cheer me up, trying to be positive, trying to talk to me about how I feel. And I'm just getting more and more annoyed and depressed because for me, who I am, what I might feel like would make me feel accepted would not to pay attention to it would be just to have some space, just to have some Mm -hmm. quiet for myself to work through it. Now there's no right or wrong. But if I haven't expressed that to her, you know, about this is what would work really well for me, um, 
then she won't know. And I might continue to think like, what's wrong with her that she continues to try to do it in this way? Uh, you know, and it can, it can turn contentious even when both people have good intentions at the outset. Yeah. But so many of us have such a hard time. Like I have to be, I have to feel like I'm valuing myself and feel that confidence that I deserve to take up space in the world for me to be able to move into that place of saying what I need and want. Like I have the right to say what I need and want, but I also have at the same time, I have the responsibility to be kind and respectful and warm as I do it, as so I how, express how do that. You, how do you, can you give an example for our listeners of what that might show up like? Like you have the right and the responsibility. Yeah. So I was working with a couple yesterday and the one partner started getting really, really angry at the other partner. And it's a step family situation. And the other partner had given some money to his 18 year old son. And the two of them hadn't communicated about it. And she was furious at him about the way he handled the situation. Now she started saying, I can't believe you did that. I can't believe you didn't communicate with me. You, you, you always do this. You, you don't care about my feelings. You're such a fill in the blank. And, um, what I said, I forget how I handled it exactly, but, uh, what I said is, uh, you're being, you're being too harsh. He's not going to be able to take this in. Mm -hmm. And she said, she responded to me, don't I have the right to feel what I'm feeling? Totally. And I said, absolutely you do. And you don't have the right to talk to another human being in this way. I love that. I love the way you're holding both there. You're hold, it's the both end. It's yes, you have the right absolutely to feel the way you do. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then and then I said, tell me more about those feelings. Talk to yeah. me. Yeah. Tell me more. Wh- where do you go? And she's, it was beautiful. She started talking about how she feels lonely, how she feels like he doesn't care about her. And it, and he, you could see him change. He was going from feeling attacked and blamed to being able to lean in and listen to how she feels lonely. Mm. And it, so it's holding that you have every right to feel what you're feeling. You have every right to express what you're feeling. You have every right to say what you want or what you need, but you do not have the right to cross someone else's boundaries. Yeah. Yeah. By being harsh. Yeah. Yeah. And I, and I think, you know, I think a lot in about this harshness, um, Vicky joined me on the podcast a few months ago and, and we were talking about this there too this harshness, you know, it's the place where I think we get into so much trouble when we're harsh with ourselves, when people are harsh with us and we let that in, we don't have solid boundaries about kind of being able to discern, oh, I don't want to let that in. That didn't feel good to me. Um, And when we're harsh with other people, when it comes out of us towards others, right? Like in all of those directions, it's that harshness so often that gets us into trouble. And on the other side of it, Mm -hmm. I think about these three, these three other kind of tenets of what I think of as relational life, 
practice, which are empathy, accountability, and vulnerability. Right? Mm -hmm. Like I can't be harsh and be in a place of empathy, accountability, and vulnerability. If I'm, if I'm Mm -hmm. really being vulnerable, if I'm really being accountable, I can't be harsh. Those things don't go together. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And people bring up this question, like, what am I supposed to do? I can't control it. This is just my behavioral response. Yeah. Well, you're welcome to have that response. And I love what you did with that client of yours, where you took her into the vulnerability. You took her into Mm -hmm. the, tell me more about those feelings. Yeah. And that's why I think we talk about boundaries a lot in our work. Boundaries is simply uh, the right to communicate what feels okay for me in the world. Uh, But it's also the, um, how essential it is for me to respect what other people feel okay about in the world. Yeah. How do you teach about boundaries? Well, I think there are some different ways. I mean, the example I just gave you of how I navigated that conversation, Mm -hmm. you know, would be a good example to sort of illustrate the point of, um, it's sort of like the idea that, um, as I'm, as I'm maturing and growing up in the world with my partner, I have the right to express what I want and what I need, but if I'm not getting enough of what I want in my need and I need, I don't have the right to change them. I have the right to say, you know, I can't be in this relationship anymore. I have the right to move on. I have the right to continue working at these things if it's important to me, but I don't have the right to tell them how they should live or what they should do or what they, they need to do for me. Uh, and so that's, that's a bound, that's a solid boundary right there. I think when it comes to boundaries, it's really important to understand that I have the right to exist in the world, but I don't have the right to control anyone else or make them do what I need them to do in order for me to feel okay. And that's even true if I'm in a relationship with someone else. So I can say what I want. I can say what I need. I can express what's going on for me. But I have to be understanding and accepting of my partner's limitations, uh, of my partner's ability or inability to give me the things that I'm asking for. My choice is simply about, I, I, I could get to the point where I decide I can't be in this relationship anymore. I need to move on. I'm not getting enough of what I want. And that's fine. Uh, you can move on. But I can't continue to blame my partner for not giving me what I want. That, that has to be a conscious choice. I have to grieve those things that I'm not getting from my partner and live in a way that feels like this is a choice that I'm making for myself, an empowered choice that I'm making for myself. Yeah. How do you help people navigate then when their partner can't show up for them? And I think I already have the answer to this. I think you've already answered it. When their partner can't show up for them in the way that they think is necessary in a relationship, right? Yeah, I think I I think I would start by moving into compassion for them. Mm-hmm. You know, and say, "Oh my gosh, I am so sorry that you're not getting those things in your relationship. That sucks. Sounds like yeah. those are really important to you. Tell me more. 
about why that's important to you. Right. So you're guiding them with, with compassion, but you're guiding them into, into grief. Yeah. Yeah. And ownership of that grief of the, yeah. Like I would ask them what it's like for them. Mm -hmm. They might be telling me why their partner is wrong for not giving it to them. But just by me asking them how, what it's like for them, I'm, I'm, they're going to be speaking from the first person at that point about their experience. Um, and we're beginning to, to differentiate their experience from their partner's behaviors. I love how you're doing that. Yeah. And so now they're starting to take responsibility for their own feelings. Yeah. Right? They're not taking responsibility Hopefully. for their partner's behavior. That's still their partners to be accountable for, but they're taking responsibility for their feelings. Yeah. And I can also, if it is uh, questionably violating behavior, like that, you know, they've asked their partner to, to do more stuff around the house and it's like 80, 20, and it's really not even, and it's really unfair. And their partner still hasn't stepped up. Um, I might say something like, you know, you don't have the right to control your partner. I agree. Your partner's definitely not doing enough here. I'm going to work with, I'm going to work with them on that. I'm going to talk to them about that, but what are you going to do if this persists? What are you going to do? It's not working for you to complain and try to control and yell at them. Tell me something legitimate that you can do for yourself to feel better about the situation if this doesn't change. And it's so that's not about controlling. That's not about having an ultimatum. That's simply about expressing their boundaries about what's actually going to happen if this doesn't change. Right. And so it doesn't necessarily need to be, well, if my partner doesn't change this, then I'm going to leave. Right. I think there are a lot of steps before we have to get to that. Right. It could be something like, well, if my partner doesn't start making dinner, then on Monday nights, I'm just going to pop myself a bag of popcorn and eat some leftovers and they'll fend for themselves. Yeah, that's great. That's a great example. That's a, that's a really nice sort of natural consequence. Yeah. And if that doesn't work, maybe do the same thing. And then the next step might be, you know, and I'm not going to be feeling very excited to hang out with you at that point. And so that show that we always snuggle up and watch together on the couch, I'm, I'm going to go to my own room and you can have the couch for yourself um, to watch the show. So it's sort of like um, trying to just say, like, there are things I'm going to need to do for myself if these things don't change in order for me to feel okay. And to communicate that more explicitly. So it's not just like a retaliation or a withdrawal. Right. It's different. Yeah. It's, but it, it's more like, um, here's what I need. And if this doesn't happen, then I'm going to have to take care of myself in these ways. Yeah, exactly. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Shane, before we started recording there, we were talking about performance-based esteem and I just wanted to circle back to that because I know you have some really big thoughts around that. Yeah, absolutely. And um, I think this is so important because like when I was giving the example of a little kid growing up in their family, uh, not being, you know, not being validated for their emotions that they were experiencing, a lot of times what will happen is a kid will start to believe that 
um, love and affection and appreciation is given based on their performance. Mm. So as long as I get good enough grades, or as long as I just, you know, have a smiling face on for mommy, or as long as I, you know, look a certain way, then I'll get the love and approval I deserve. So they learn that uh, they have to perform in a certain way to be in order to get that value. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so I think this could play out in a lot of different ways in relationships. But if there's a couple who's trying to have a conversation and one part, like one partner says, you know, I, I had a, I had a really bad day. I'm just not feeling very good today. It would be very easy for, I see this all the time where the other partner starts going into shame and feeling like I must not be performing enough in the relationship, because if I was doing enough, my partner wouldn't be having a bad day. And so uh, instead of having a healthy self-esteem and being able to value themselves and show up in their relationship with compassion, understanding that their partner's having a bad day, they start going into shame like, oh, my, my partner's having a bad day. Oh my gosh, what did I do wrong? What, are you saying I haven't done enough? Or, or blaming the partner, like, well, what, well, did you take your medication this morning? Have you, you, have you been doing enough? Like, blah, 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 you know? And so that's coming from an anxious place, I think, based in performance-based esteem, which yep. is like, if someone's not happy, that it means that, that someone's that not somehow, performing well enough. Yeah, something, somehow uh, the other partner hasn't done enough to take care of them or has let them down somehow, or really the underneath piece is that other partner has learned to contort themselves to make other people happy. They've taken yeah, on the well, responsibility. Yeah. To- that's uh, bringing the dynamic into it. Um, that would definitely be something that happens all like a dynamic between two couples that we see all the time. Yeah. And one of the other forms of uh, artificial self-esteem or whatever is other based esteem. So that person would be an other based esteem. I'm enough. And I matter, um, because I tiptoe around the other partner's emotions and make yeah. them, um, make them feel okay. Or right. And it could be like, I learned when I was growing up that I had to, um, you know, manage mom's emotions. And so, because I learned that now that I'm in a relationship, I continue to manage my partner's emotions. Yeah. Yeah. Definitely. Yeah. Yeah. Shane, this has been a really great conversation. And I think the thing that I'm really, really taking away from it is, and I hope our listeners are too, just how much um, shifting into like, what is my responsibility to look at here in this relationship? Right? Like, what is my responsibility in the relationship? How can I become conscious of that piece of it? And how can I do that with a lot of compassion on board? Yeah, absolutely. And I hope the listeners feel empowered by that idea. You know, most of the time when people come into couples therapy, um, they're going to tell the therapist all of the things that their partner's doing to ruin the relationship and make their life miserable. And I think um, if anyone's out there listening and they want to try this out or try to improve their relationship, you absolutely, I understand you're having those thoughts. I do too. Um, But you want to try to challenge yourself to move into compassion for yourself, 
What are the feelings I'm feeling? What are the things that I feel like I'm not getting? What do I want to be different? What am I hoping for here? And um, be able to express what you want in your relationship with your partner in a loving, respectful way, having the, the courage, because it, it requires a lot of vulnerability to say what I want, say what I'm hoping for but to try to approach it from that place as a starting point um, and uh, see what happens. Yeah. Thank you so much for joining. Yeah. Yeah, yeah and, absolutely. Yeah. And I will um, include in our show notes links for your TikTok channel and for your podcast where folks can find you and your website. Um, so if you want more of Shane, there's, there's lots of him to be found out there. Great. Thank you so much. Yeah, it's been great talking to you. Thank you so much, Shane. Thanks, Rebecca. Learn more about my counseling practice, intensives, and online workshops over at connectfulness.com. And if you haven't already, check out our sister podcast, Why Does My Partner? Why Does My Partner tackles questions from listeners who want help in relationship. These questions, your questions, send them in, are relationship gold. They echo the conversations that take place over and over again in our therapy offices and take us deep into conversations around the skills that are right at the heart of relationship intimacy, greater health, and fulfillment. Jules, Vicky, and I also offer essential skills relationship boot camps. You can learn more about those at whydoesmypartner.com. You can listen to this podcast wherever you get your audio. We'd love if you follow and subscribe to the show, share it with those who may also be interested. I want to express my deepest gratitude to the musicians behind the beautiful soundtrack, for this podcast, Sarah and Chris Ferris, who recorded and mixed this music at Kidney Stone Studio. And thank you, dear listeners. It's such a pleasure to be on this journey with you. This podcast is produced by me, Rebecca Wong, and it's copyrighted by Connectfulness Counseling. And we'd love to hear from you. Please follow us on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram over at Connectfulness. Take care and be well. Until next time. Our next live workshop, Integrating Mind and Heart, will be held online from September 22nd to 24th, 2023. If you want to get closer and trust each other and yourself to get through the hard moments, this is the workshop for you. Sign up at whydoesmypartner.com events.